hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 345 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor broadcasting right now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. My fabulous co-founder and co-host, Kenny Kane, currently on the Stupid Cancer road trip, enjoying his life in Las Vegas on a day off after completing 14 days in 14 cities. We'll talk more about that later in the show. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter at stupidcancershow.org. Free podcast available on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. And it's not okay that 72,000 adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. In this episode, a special broadcast dedicated again to CancerCon. We are speaking with Emily Drake, a health promotion specialist at Cancer Fight Club in Canada, and Nick Ainaro, assistant professor of health communication at the University of Michigan Dearborn. As we highlight CancerCon speakers and presenters in preparation for the conference this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Denver, a special Survivor Spotlight on Ethan Zahn and his girlfriend Lisa Haywood, and a drop-in guest to lovely and talented Donna Zurich. And now it is time for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's so weird not having Kenny. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. Just a little. How are you, Mallory? Oh, I'm just dandy. I know you're not. Come on. <laughs> let's let's admit what's going on here. I may have um, sprained my ankle, so that's fun. Uh, currently on crutches so that I cannot be on crutches when we, I get to Denver tomorrow. So this is your Mallory Rivera klutzism genetic predispositions. Yeah. They, it hit in full swing. My My friend actually said to me, you're about to go do something major. Of course you hurt yourself. Yes, it's, you are you are Murphy's law. Pretty much, wow. actually. But, but it could have been worse. It could have been worse. I'm not broken. I can still hobble. So It could have happened like mid-flight and then you would have landed like Minneapolis and let 
Yeah. Let's not say that because <laughs> now it might. Yes, because I, I put it out to the universe. Yeah, not okay. If I get to Denver and can't walk, we'll right. know why. Well, I, you now are a special accommodation passenger. You get to board first. I know. I do get to board earlier, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> Especially as Milk it. I have so many things that I'm bringing with me. You can me. play your sprained ankle card. Yes. Right. So many things I'm bringing with I'll me. I'll make you a card. I have a sprained ankle. <laughs> like those blind people that walk, no, deaf people that handle the cards at the airport. Yeah. Just like that. Exactly <laughs> like that. Hi, Sean. Hey, what's going on? You have had a good week. I have. You know why? I don't know why. Because <laughs> we broke and blew up our goals. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did. Was that, I think, did we do that last week? I don't even remember how recent that I was. I don't think we talked about it last week. We, we were getting close to $100,000 oh. last week, but we were like, what, 109 now or something? We're at 107,383. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's monumental. And this year has netted our uh, top fundraiser in history in a given year, which really? is really awesome. So Vanessa, Vanessa Vanessa Hood up in Pewaukee, Wisconsin is killing it with $10,551 raised. So. That is insane. Yeah. Really so incredible. It's been an amazing year. I'm I'm just so impressed. And again, this is a show dedicated to CancerCon. It is happening in four days, right? Unbelievable. Just ridiculous. It's here. I do want to recap the road trip, which I mentioned at the uh, top of the show. So Kenny and uh, Kenny Kane, my co-founder and co-host on the show here, and John Sabi, our videographer, just completed their fourth, fourth 5,000-plus mile uh, cross-country road trip traversing 14 cities in 14 days meeting with our community, visiting cancer centers, speaking with the press. Um, I can't believe they pulled it off. And we have all the webisodes going up on Facebook and soon on Vimeo. And then eventually they will finally land on stupidcancerroadtrip.org where they where they rightfully belong. But I got to give them props. And, and it's, it's quite impressive. They did a really great job. Yeah. Yes? <laughs> yeah. No, it's impressive. That much time <clears throat> in a car is impressive in and of itself. Yeah. And as if we didn't have enough things to announce this week besides the VAP club and CancerCon happening in this road trip, we, we finally got our mobile app, Instapeer, into the App Store uh, for iOS. And Android was submitted today, which is incredibly exciting. And, um, you know, it's it's technically a public beta, even though we're not announcing it to be a public beta. There are still kinks to be worked out, but we're very excited that our, our new crop of early adopters are patient and understanding and tolerant. And it's very exciting. The initial feedback is... I love the app. Just make it work. And, you know, we're doing <laughs> we're on the way to making it work. It's it's exciting and, and it's, it's amazing. So if you haven't already um, download Instapeer in the app store for iOS, just search for Instapeer and it'll pop up. It's right there and download it. Let us know your experience. You can always send us feedback anytime to support at Instapeer.org. And there's even a uh, submit feedback um, in the app itself. So you can let us know what's going on there. But anyway, we have a wonderful drop-in guest, surprise visitor, blast from the past, uh, Donna Zurich, 10-year thyroid cancer survivor, one of the original volunteers of Stupid Cancer back in the salad days when it was called Steps for Living and then called I'm Too Young for This. There's been a lot of a lot of progress since then. Welcome, Donna. How you doing? Good to be here. Yeah. Very happy to make it. Looking good. Thank you. 10 years. Feeling, feeling pretty cancer. good, yeah. yeah. Cool. What are you up to these days? Celebrating 10 years? Celebrating 10 years. Um, just enjoying life. You know, living every day. So what's it been like for you to, to know that you were involved in something so long ago and to see it become what it is today? It's kind of exciting to see it have grown so much and um, just to see what you've built here. It's really nice. 
I mean, I, I take credit for starting something, but <laughs> people like you built it. And it was this, you know, the early crop of, I guess, the breakfast club that were, that kind of believed that it could be something and, and made it possible. And, and you know, back in the day, for those listening, we had a, it was just me. I, I, was, I wasn't even paid yet doing all of yeah. this. And I was still working part time when, when this was all getting ready to be launched in 05, 06, 07. Um, and I, I needed to know, not just that I wasn't alone, but there were other people who, who understood why there was a need to build a new, a new charity when there were already so many good charities doing work like this. I created something called the Young Adult Leadership Cabinet. And I remember it was in the summer of 2008 at the Livestrong Summit. Were you there with me? A bunch of us were there. Yeah, there were a bunch of people like there. Like Leah Shearer. Yeah, and, and yeah. Bunch, yeah and, and, and we all just got together at, around a couch somewhere. And I said, would you like to help me do something crazy? And you all said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how that started. So uh, so tell us your story real quick. Thyroid cancer 10 years ago. What were you doing? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, it was just one of those things where one thing added up to another. And I started feeling not so great. And, you know wrote it off to, I forgot to take my vitamins, I'm drinking too much caffeine, I'm working too much, I started a new job, you know. and Just and regular, I'm, normal life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it got to the point where I just really couldn't even go to the gym for longer than 15 minutes, and that just wasn't me. And I would try and go out with my friends Friday night, and a half hour later I was like, oh, it's time for me to go home, I'm exhausted. I mean, exhausted. So, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't like I was depressed, you know. I wasn't avoiding the things I wanted to do. I was getting out there and trying to do them, but I, I just didn't have the energy to do it and just kept kept complaining, I guess, <laughs> to my primary care physician who eventually thought she felt something in my thyroid area, did some lab tests, sent me for some follow-up, and that's how we found it. So, so how many months went by from, like, the day you felt not normal to boom? Probably close to a year. That's... That's sad, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Is there anything that could have been done or that has maybe changed that a little bit for the next you these days in 2015? Or is it still weirdly this highly nebulous type you know, of thing? It's hard to say because, I mean, there are so many nondescript feelings. You know, right. feeling tired and, and things like that are they're so vague and yeah. it's hard to pinpoint sometimes. Um, and, you know, I even told people I think my hair is falling out and more than normal and people are like you're crazy yeah and so you kind of write it off you know yeah. you're 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 32 you're not thinking oh my god it's, something's wrong with me yeah exactly Uh-oh. but 10 years later 10 years later good? i'm feeling pretty good that's, yeah that's the best news ever yeah and what are you up to now these days in, in virginia right yep yeah right outside dc and you're working in our industry yes yeah um i'm actually working uh on clinical studies, just kind of managing clinical studies for a pharmaceutical company. So doing a lot of early phase oncology studies. So it's kind of interesting. We could have a whole show about that. Yes, we could. <laughs> That's a whole industry unto itself that, mm-hmm. that is amazing and, and distraught simultaneously. Oh, yeah. So anyway, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Great to you're be You're free to chime in at any point in time. Okay, um, consider yourself a guest <laughs> co-host. Woo-hoo. But uh, let's, uh, let's kick off the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, in our spotlight here, we're welcoming, you know him, you love him, returning champion Ethan Zahn is a six-year survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and a three-year survivor of a relapse of that disease. Um, He has been a keynote at OMG 2010. He's been on the radio show a bunch of times. He does tons of media advocates for young adult cancer 
And uh, he's going to be speaking at CancerCon in Denver this week alongside his girlfriend, Lisa Haywood, discussing relationships and dating. Please welcome back to the show, uh, Ethan Zahn and his girlfriend, Lisa Haywood. Hey, guys. Hello. What's up? It's great to be back. I know. Can you believe you you were, uh, I was just, we, we were debuting a, a mashup video uh, in at CancerCon of all uh, nine uh, conferences of all the videos. And we were going through the 2010 when you were there with like virtually your hair just starting to grow back for the first time. And it really brought me back. And there's a lot of history between you and the organization and the Young Adult Cancer. Yeah. Has there ever been anyone who's been to all nine events? Yeah, me. <laughs> my dad. Got similar hair, so it, it works out well. No, the, the truth be told, there's one other person. I don't know if you had ever met him at any of our events, but you will again. His name is Scott Slater. And uh, Scott had thyroid can- uh, testicular cancer, like, I think, 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, he's also a musician. That's why I met him through music. But he has been to OMG 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 East, 13, 13 East, 14, 14 East, and CancerCon, all 13. Wow. So he Hardcore. wins something. Yeah, he wins something. Do but- you get a special watch if you go to all of them? <laughs> he gets, a, he gets the, the really cheap iWatch, the, the cheapest version of the iWatch. Um <laughs> But I'm really excited to have you back on the show, and especially now you're uh, you're you're dating. You're with uh, an amazing woman, and you are very open about your relationship and willing to share that with our community. Relationships clearly are, you know, a, a major issue when you're not sick. So you throw something on top of that when you are sick, and it makes for lots of complications. And I'm really excited to have you guys talk about how that dynamic works for you, what you've learned, and what you're going to be sharing with with i think there's like a hundred some odd people sign up for your session it's going to be crazy wow yeah i mean you know as you can imagine, anyone going through their cancer journey it's incredibly difficult but being a solo cancer survivor a single cancer survivor you know there's some just added things that go along with that that you may not be prepared for and i was very fortunate enough to meet lisa and who's kind of Help me through this process. Help me grow. Help me learn about more about myself, um, as well as you know, it's it's a it's a it's a slippery slope to go through this situation because, as we all know, there's a lot of like emotional issues when you become a survivor. You don't know where your life is going. You don't know if a relationship fits into this. If it's a long-term relationship, and so there's definitely a lot of issues that I say wouldn't normally happen to an everyday couple who meets for the first time. Right. So Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna weigh in on that too a sure. little bit. I think that when Ethan and I met, uh, I didn't necessarily know what was about to happen and what what we were gonna go through. It was a little bit of a day by day thing and I think for him initially the the sort of talk about future was a really difficult topic, so we didn't talk about that. I understood that that was a hard thing for him to wrap his head around, so there was a sort of, on my side, I didn't put any kind of expectations on anything other than, like, I understand that you're coming out of this, but let's not let cancer take another day from you ever again. Let's not, you know, sit in the worry of it, and let's not let it take another minute of our time. Or, you know, there was a certain point where I think he wanted to um, warn me and say, are you sure you want to take this on? And and I said, then then you're letting it win. You have to, you know, let's go for it. Let's just live in the moment, but let's absolutely go for it. And let's not let that be the, be the reason why we're not together. 
So from my perspective, Lisa, that sounds unique and in the minority of what I've come to understand people's perceptions of walking into a relationship with that kind of baggage. So mm-hmm. what is it about you that makes that different? I mean, I Lisa has that... so much baggage. No, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ethan, what's that I about? Have, like, I'm going to have to pay like 350 extra bucks to get all my baggage to Colorado for the yes. cancer uh-huh. <laughs> I think that for me, I was in a unique place in my life when I met him, and I had been in a 10-year relationship um, and had gotten through that over this sort of heartbreak of that ending and dated and sort of was doing my life in a very sort of fun and and interesting way. And I was in a very, very good, solid place when I met him. And I met him, you know, after his treatments were were over. And and it was extremely slow, which I think is probably the best way to to do that with somebody that is in, you know, recovering from an illness of any kind. Our relationship was very slow and in, in a good way. And I think that um, it just sort of evolved in a, in a natural way. And there was no expectation for me about what that relationship would be. I just knew I wanted to be in his life. And I was just going to take it day by day. And the, the sort of thing that I think that happens after you have cancer and after you go through treatment is the psychological hangover that, that starts to come on you. <laughs> and that's the thing that we really dealt with together and that we really talked through. We 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 spent a lot of time kind of, you know, in that space and getting the mental stuff um, in a clearer, in a clearer way for him and for, and for both of us. And I think that's the hard piece of the puzzle after treatment's done, after all the busyness of the doctors and everything. Now what are you supposed to do and how are you supposed to feel about yourself and about your relationships and all those things? Right. And, and even tracing the cord back a little bit more, Ethan was one of those young adults who beat cancer that was very vocal about his story Many young adults yeah. aren't and, and may be in an even more challenging position to go through the disclosure process of what that means. And and for me, I personally, I met my wife. I was not even five years out of treatment, and I was not interested in dating anybody. I had actually just regained some semblance of virility because the radiation had kind of wiped that out for a few years. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was playing piano, and I was having a regular job, and, and I met her. And I met her through a friend who knew I had cancer, and Jessica didn't. And then her friend basically said, "Jess, there's this guy Matt. You're gonna like him. He has cancer." It's like, what? That's not how. <laughs> that's not how like um, Yentas are supposed to make this thing happen. But she right. kind of, you know, it, it it worked. She she kind of looked past that and saw something that she was willing to understand and learn more about and take on. And having had cancer in her family prior to that gave her perhaps a different sort of sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, it was, I was a little bit reserved, you know, coming into that situation, you know, if you're looking at my resume per se, all right, you know, I'm 35 years old, I don't have a job, I'm sterile, my five-year survival rate is about 50%. You know, I'm not the type of guy you want to take home to mom, right? <laughs> and, and, and I'm not necessarily the greatest person to become a life mate with. Um, so it takes a certain type of communication and understanding. You know, I gave Lisa plenty of opportunities to get out of the situation. In fact, you know, I probably did some stupid stuff to try to get her to, like, get out of the situation because it's a scary situation for me. I don't want to bring her into this crap, you know, like... 
there's so much stuff going on in my life at that time that I didn't even know how myself I'd get through it. Never, you know, and then bringing another woman into that as well. But I feel as long as the communication is open, and obviously Lisa knew what exactly what she was getting herself into. I didn't show sugarcoat anything. And then, you know, from that point on, it's it's a mutual decision. It's her decision. It's my decision. And I think that was uh, essential versus like hiding what was going on or not telling her. Right. I think for, in that in, in that time period, there was he needed a lot of reassurance that I was still choosing to be there. And I understood that because he he tried to give me every out in in the in the book just to make sure that I was making the right choice for myself. And I assured him I am making the right choice for myself always. And if there's something different, I will tell you that. But I'm here right now. We have no expectations. We're just doing day by day. And so there was a little bit of a reassurance period that I had to, you know, kind of in the beginning, like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like, this is, it's fine. I know that there's issues. Let's go through them. It's it's, it's going to be okay. So let's talk about, you know what? sorry, go ahead, sorry. Ethan. Go ahead. No, I just want to say, I think it's, um, one, we're both really excited to come to CancerCon because I think there's a little bit of a area within the survivorship world that isn't necessarily talked about that much, especially a couple that have been through it. And, you know, we're both pretty open people. As you know, like my pup, my story's been pretty public. This is a little bit of a venture off into a different direction, but I feel it's really important. I feel there's a lot of survivors out there or people who are looking to get back into the dating world and are just like scared and confused and they just don't know how to navigate the situation. So hopefully we can provide some of those answers. It's just, you know, it's our anecdotal stories, but it's worked for us. We're in love. We have a happy relationship. And hopefully we can offer some insight to some people who are going through similar situations right now. Right, and, and kudos to both of you, I mean, for, for having the courage to do that. Sharing this, any anything intimate in any setting is, is typically mm-hmm. challenging and takes a lot of courage. But at the end of the day, you are facing an audience that is equally challenged and if not even more vulnerable than the average population to talk about this. And I, I can I can tell you right now, it's going to be extremely emotional. We've, we've done this before, uh, maybe not as high profile as this, but it, it I think it adds a lot to the fervor that people are willing to discuss these sensitive issues and to be open about that. Um, but I guess the question I was going to ask before is guilt must be something that goes through your brain every day. What am I doing? Does this, you know, cause you're always going to have your own independent thoughts when you're by yourself and what could this turn into? What could this mean? And you feel bad or you don't feel bad or you feel bad for not feeling bad or you don't feel bad for feeling bad. Uh, can you, can you talk to us about, about those emotions? Um, I guess there's a little bit of guilt, you know, anytime I have a doctor's appointment, I freak out, you know, I read the internet, like, I try to keep that, I hide that from Lisa, but, you know, it's always in the back of my mind, the idea of relapsing and the the stress and anxiety and physical scars that come along with being a cancer survivor, that's never going to go away. So it's to kind of unload that on a partner who is supportive, but, as we all know, as a cancer survivor who's listening out there, like everyone goes through cancer alone. No one really knows exactly what it's like unless you've gone through that. Um, but as long as you have open communication and you share the way you feel with your partner, I think that's essential because if you're locking yourself feelings inside and you're isolating yourself and I just don't think it's a, um, 
I don't think it's the right way to go forward with that. You know, I think. Yeah, I, I think open. guilt is a. I think guilt is not a great uh, even word to enter into the equation. Like, I don't ever want him feeling guilty for anything or any choices that I've made. I make it clear that I come in with my own set of decisions that I've made to be here. And so I don't ever want him feeling guilty about any of those things with me and our relationship. And I don't feel guilty about anything. I wouldn't want, if, if I sense that he did feel that way, then we got to talk through something because I don't want anyone carrying any guilt for, for anything. You have to relieve yourself of any of those things. Everyone's an adult and everyone's choosing decisions to be with someone or not with someone. So I would, you know, encourage lots of people to, if there is any guilt, let's, let's get rid of it. Let's all get rid of it. If you're not in a good situation, then maybe you should get out of it. But, you know, don't hold on to any guilt. That's going to not make you heal very well either. Right. And I mean, I, I like, I'm on record with uh, some other folks in my camp, a gentleman named Johnny Immerman and I were, mm-hmm. were, did a story for NPR a year and a half ago about our first nightmare dating experience when we were just trying to figure Together. out what, the, what yeah, he and I, it was a love affair from day one. And respectively, we each had horrific, you know, like first date disclosure moments. And we're like, maybe we shouldn't have disclosed this on the first date, but we both looked bald and, you know, not terribly healthy. <laughs> and, you know, just equally, like each of these girls we dated, like totally freaked out when we told them, you know, we beat cancer and like, and they never talked to us again. So, you know, this is kind of the risk because you're already in the relationship, do you think you'll be discussing how do you discuss getting into a relationship to begin with? Um, that's a tough question to have to answer, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I can help with that one, too. I think that um, getting into a relationship, I within 30 seconds of meeting Ethan, I, he told me that he had cancer, and it didn't scare me. And I think the right person... Like you said, we I also what happen to have a big, big pink mohawk. So like, <laughs> That's right. I remember the whole hair. mohawk. <laughs> but I also think if the right person comes along, they're not going to run away from it because they realize there's more value in a person than some than an illness that's going through them, and that's a, a hopefully a temporary thing. It's hard enough to find somebody that you like. Okay, you can, an illness, you can, you can handle that. You right. know, that's what I think. So those girls who didn't call you back, they weren't the right girls for you, and you found the right girl for you. Right. So, I just think that's a sign, and, and you know what? You're very lucky in a way because that weeds it out instantly. It's just not the right person if they're not willing to to uh, learn about you and everything, that good, bad, and ugly that's going on. It's like the instant litmus test. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how? I mean, it is, it is a big commitment if you think about it, though. You know, I mean, walking into a situation that just are a date, and you're like, listen, I have cancer, and a high chance of relapse. Like, I may not be able to have babies. Like you may love this person in the world, but those are some serious situations that may be deal breakers for people. And I guess uh, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to talk about counseling because there are couples that are perfectly healthy that need counseling, but clearly this may open up a whole other need to have more open conversations about that. Is there a role here for like a, a traditional therapist, couples counselor, or would this need to fall under some kind of oncology therapy? It's kind of a loaded question. I I mean, I've been to a bunch of oncology therapists and some therapists at Memorial Sloan Kettering that I didn't necessarily get along with. Lisa and I have gone to therapy together. And the one great thing that we always find out when we go to therapy is that we, you know, we pair our potential issues. And the therapist says, all right, 
gives her her answer, and we're like, all right, we're doing all right. You know, we're talking about this. Like, we're on the right track. And so that made us feel better as a couple, knowing that we are communicating enough. But I'm a big fan of therapy. I think that the, either individually or as a couple or even as a caretaker, I think it's very important to have a third party there or someone you can vent your problems to. Well, very honest and very open. Uh, so final thoughts, I guess, from Lisa. Um, what do you hope to gain and, and expect to have uh, 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 from going to Denver and sitting in a room with possibly 50 other couples like you? Well, I hope that I, I sort of hope that we can all learn from each other because I think there's ways to combat some of the issues that are going on with somebody that's uh, going through this. And we've tried some things that have worked and some things that haven't worked. So I feel like it's going to be a great sharing moment. We can talk about some of the things that we do that we've done through our journey. And because we were, we were new dating when this was going on and, and there's going to be other people that will have things to share. And, and hopefully we can get people to really start talking. I think that's been the biggest thing for us. And it was a little new for Ethan to get people to really communicate about everything you're feeling, not, not afraid to bring things to the table because it will make you feel better. And when you unburden yourself you know, it will help you heal. I think people are as sick as their secrets. So I think it's time to kind of like, let's get all those fears and stuff on the table. Let's deal with them one by one. And then let's go have some fun. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to look at uh, this whole situation, it's a part of it's a healing process. Going through cancer sucks. And this is part of your healing process, whether that's alone or with another person. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for having the courage to come and speak to us in Denver this week. Um, and I know you're going to have the time of your life and people's lives will be changed for the better because of your involvement. We are happy to come. Thank you so much. All right, we've been talking to Ethan Zahn, cancer celebrity survivor, and his girlfriend, Lisa Haywood, who will be speaking on a panel at CancerCon this week. Uh, you can learn more at CancerCon.org. Ethan, Lisa, thanks so much, and I'll see you on Friday. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Okay, and now... The news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly do not want you missing out. There are actually probably some meetups happening in May and June, but we're going to get back to because we're tied up with Denver, which is very exciting. Uh, cancer is Lonely, Instapeer, our free mobile app connecting anonymously cancer patients and caregivers to one another, is now live in the App Store. Go to instapeer.org or just search Instapeer in the App Store. Uh, never be alone. That's our tagline. Uh, our newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr is now live with uh, dozens of articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat at stupidcancer.com. Org slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com. Yes, you heard me right. CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser for yourself. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. And finally, always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and stay nice and warm with all new products and styles to choose from. Or stay nice and cool. It's going to be summer soon. 
Check out Flip the Bird, our latest plushie mascot, our skateboards and t-shirts and hoodies, stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud, we're Stupid Cancer, and that is your Stupid Cancer News. Okay, in the main segment here on the broadcast, Dr. Nick Ionario is an assistant professor of health communications at the University of Michigan Dearborn, and he specializes in how young adults use communication to cope with altered relationships following a cancer diagnosis. Joining him is the one and only Emily Drake, health promotion specialist and the director of Cancer Fight Club, an innovative program of hope and cope at the Jewish General Hospital of McGill University in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Dr. Nick Inario and Emily Drake. Hey, guys. Hi, Matt. Hi, thank you. Really great to have you here. So you're on the show because you're going to be making a, a small trip to uh, Denver uh, this coming week for a small event that's happening with just a few a few people. Um, but uh, before we get started about your panel sessions, I'd love you to just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your history. Uh, let's start with, uh, by the way, did you ever get shit for just being called Dr. Nick? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I have All to time. say it. Okay. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> so how'd you get started? What what got you into this field? So I, um, as an undergrad at the University of Dayton, I took a health communication class, which basically focuses on, uh, you know, any messages that are sent, whether it's through mass media or between patients and uh, healthcare providers and family and friends or within healthcare organizations that have to do with like mental, physical, emotional wellness. And um, I started really getting into the aspect of humor and how we use humor a lot of times to cope with severe and chronic illness. And uh, I just kind of stumbled upon stupid cancer one day and I saw that so many people on this site, so many people in the forums and blogs uh, were using a lot of really, really, really cynical, funny humor uh, to cope with their experience. And so I started looking more and more into the, the kind of the young adult context and saw that there was a lot of, um, a lot of psychosocial issues that were not being addressed. And so just kind of got sucked in. And then one of my best friends uh, was diagnosed with testicular cancer and I saw him and his uh, young adult whites go through this experience, and it just really made me want to learn more. I think what fascinates me about the the growth of the field that you've taken such an interest in is is it's very generational. Have you found that? What do you mean? Well, humor is typically not something my grandparents would want to have if they got prostate cancer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's I think that was what what was really shocking to me at first, and what really appealed to me about it was. You know, we, we live in kind of an environment where cancer, the, the dominant narrative is it's a very hopeful thing. It's a very pink kind of cuddly thing in some cases. And for a lot of people, that, that really is effective. But for young adults, it was very, you know, F this, F that, a lot of black humor. And that just kind of appealed to me more. And I wanted to learn more about why that was effective. And that's a great helpful. segue to, to Emily, who runs a group called Cancer Fight Club. I don't think you can get any more disruptive and stick poking than that from a generational perspective. Uh, Emily, well, uh, you've been on the show before, or is this your first time? This is my first time. Oh, well, welcome aboard the Love Boat. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Good things come to those who wait. So <laughs> I'm excited that my first time ever presenting here is uh, when I'm going to be presenting at the first ever Cancer Con. I know, it's so. very exciting. So, very so exciting. You're a fascinating specimen because you did not have, thankfully, you did not have cancer, and yet you've taken up such an interest in our cause and up in Canada, no less, where I forgive you for being Canadian. But at, at the same time, it's it's amazing to see that this is something that is as spread 
north of our border, but yet it's been there for quite a while. Tell us the history of Hope and Cope and this, this initiative. Thank you. Yeah, so Hope and Cope has been around for 34 years now, and it was founded by Sheila Kustner, who is a pediatric um, cancer survivor. And 30 years ago, back in 1985, they started a young adult cancer support group. And so over the past 30 years, you know, the program has kind of shifted and changed directions, and now it exists as uh, the Cancer Fight Club that we know today, where we have everything from a dance club, cooking club, a couple of retreats a year, one specialized just for the metastatic and advanced uh, cancer population. We have a bros club that we're starting. Uh, we do tweet chats for the metastatic and advanced young adult cancer community. So we do a lot of different things to try to address uh, the needs of young adults living with cancer in innovative ways. Yeah, so let's talk more about the, the this notion of unique communications, unique psychosocial issues, and that just generationally we are addressing these internally and externally very differently. But to, to Dr. Nick, and I, I can't not laugh and say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, Hi everybody! <laughs> Hello everybody! Is is um <laughs> I might I might have done that a little too well. I'm sorry. Uh, right. th- that this is trickling into academics. Yeah, um, and especially it's it's pretty new to the communication field as well. Um, but I, I think it's so I, just in looking over the not to jump ahead, but in looking over the agenda for 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 CancerCon, just so many issues that are jumping out that people in my discipline would love to to hear about, and 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 I think what's what's are unique and that what a lot of people have talked about already is that, you know, it's, it's unique for a young adult population because they're already going through so many life changes. I mean, with getting out of college or going to college or trying to get a job and having uh, social relationships at that life that are more tenuous than when you're older and, you know, you've been in a relationship for 40 years. Um, so because they're already in transition and there's not as many support options for them as older people in pediatrics, it's kind of a more disruptive experience. And, and one of the main things that young adults often talk about is that they really struggle to make new relationships and their relationships with their family, friends, and, uh, you know, romantic partners that already are existing are really disrupted in a unique way. And so in some of the research that I found, it really confirmed that, that, that these interruptions were unique to this population. Right. And your session is, is on uh, actual research. Like we're talking actual science and published data and, and evidence-based, you know, uh, patient outcomes that that's kind of unprecedented and and so tell us about your research what have you found i mean beyond the obvious that we can probably just surmise what have you truly quantified yeah so um i'm i am uh uh, this is actually from my dissertation from the university of kentucky i I just finished this uh past summer and so it's hot off the press and uh you guys will be some of the first people to to get to to be able to hear it and um basically what i found it was a it was a really qualitative kind of um a study where I just basically sat down and talked to the 30 young adult cancer survivors from all around the Midwest and um, about 20 of their uh, top supporters or someone who they kind of identified as being the go-to person when they were going through treatment. And so um, what I really tended to focus on was how they communicated social support. Um, so I, I heard from, I, I interviewed each of them separately. So I heard from the young adult survivor's perspective. I heard from the caregiver or top supporter's perspective. And I kind of analyzed it as, in a pair, and so I saw how their perspectives would were similar or different, and how they contrasted. And um, so there was a lot of stuff that uh, you know these these forms of social support that young adult survivors found really effective or really ineffective. So you know things that were really effective were things that made uh, the, the survivor feel normal. Um, but you know obviously you get a lot of people who a lot of people talk about this how uh, a lot of people don't know how to support them, so they'll talk about 
well, you know, my uncle died of cancer, uh, by the way. Or, you know, people withdrawing for them or, that's or the... overcompensating. And so, yeah, it, it's just all, the, all these unique things. Yeah, that's the hashtag not helping. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I get it. It's, I, I truly, I mean, I just go back to even 10 years ago. We have one of our, one of our, we have a special guest in the studio who was part of our, the young adult cancer world over a decade ago and remembers the very early inklings of what stupid cancer was becoming. And this notion of actually having science behind our anger yes. <laughs> was yeah. improbable. Donna, do you want to just comment? Yeah. Well, um, I don't... <laughs> well, you work in trials now yeah, and even absolutely. there's like trials for young adults and it's fascinating to see. So did you have like social connection issues that you would have been helped more with programming? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even just struggling within my own small circle, you know, my own close friends and um, just trying to figure out what to tell them and what to tell them I needed. And if they left you or abandoned you, I'm sure that's another abandonment's another issue with with initial social connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Emily, I'm sure you deal with that day to day with Hope and Cope and Cancer Fight Club. What are some of the programs that you work with them on to navigate relationships whether social or, or intimate or personal yeah definitely so similar to stupid cancer C cancer fight club we really work hard to provide a support program in in multiple ways but the goal is always to connect young adults living with cancer to each other and connect their supporters to each other so they have a group of people who really understand what it is that they're going through. And what we see is that those young adults then, you know, meet up for coffee, take each other to treatment, you know, look after each other's kids. And it's really beautiful um, to see a local community uh, blossom in that way. But certainly we have a lot of, we actually just had a, a cafe night where we talked about relationships with parents, and the different things that you can do to negotiate that relationship and set boundaries because certainly we see these relationship issues come up just as Nick said in many different ways whether it's with parents and a small a circle of friends uh, with your loved ones and so just sort of providing also that space for supporters to come and be away from the person that they are caring for and connect with other supporters and sort of air what it is their frustrations that they may not feel comfortable talking with to the person that they're caregiving for. And your session is particularly uh, challenging and highly emotional. You're dealing with chronic advanced and metastatic disease. How do you, I'm sure you have plenty of young adults in your community that are facing that diagnosis and, and trying to get busy living through it. Yeah, we unfortunately do. As we know, many young adults are diagnosed late stage, you know, told, you know, you're too young to have cancer, as we know too right. often. Mm -hmm. Many people we know are told that. Um, so, yeah, it is it is very challenging for young adults living with metastatic and advanced illness because in addition to, you know, the challenges of being a young adult with cancer, you also have unique needs like increased health fragility, you know, some of the people I know coming to CancerCon aren't sure if they're going to feel well Thursday to get on a plane and, and go. Mm -hmm. They have uncertainty for their future and their health condition, trying to live life condensed and check things off their bucket list while also dealing with early retirement, legacy, not knowing if their young children will remember who they are, and also having financial dependency on the people who are giving care to them. So there's a, there's a host of unique needs there within this specific young adult movement that need to be addressed. And and going back to to Dr. 
I can't. I just can't. <laughs> Dr. Nick, um, you, you presented your work pr- pretty much everywhere. I'm reading here, you know, uh, so many different publications and organizations out there. What has been the response from the general academic industry about this science? Because typically, at least from my perspective, the young adult cancer concept kind of like thrown by the way said, oh, they're, you know, we're used to dealing with kids and everyone else. You know, why is this special? It, it, has that trickled into academia as a standard now? There is there really a almost a subspecialty conversation based on age? It's been um, in my discipline. It, it was a, it took a little bit of doing to to get people to to kind of treat this like you know. So why is a a thirty nine year old different than a or a thirty five year old different than you know someone in, in their sixties? And right. and uh, it was, it just took a lot a little bit to validate that. But there's such a good actual base in some of the psychosocial literature. Um, so a lot of psychology journals and um, and a lot of nursing journals and um, psycho-oncology journals, so that it kind of did help me to springboard pretty well into, into our discipline. But yeah, it's definitely, it definitely has taken a number of years um, to, to get it to, to get people to pay attention, for sure. And I see here that a lot of your work also uh, involves young adults who are caregivers to their parents, which is kind of a unique spin on our movement, correct? Yeah, a little bit. And and so that, you know, young adults having to, to make end-of-life decisions for um for their parents, which is, you know, a, a really big disruption. And then also I'm really interested in young adults uh, who are caregivers to other young adults with cancer. And so how this is, we talk a lot about how cancer is a disruption to young adults who are going through treatment, but also to the people who are caring for them. They also have to pause their lives. Right. So have you found a disparity or, or, or some kind of connectivity or u- uniqueness that binds young adults to your research based on whether they are patients themselves, caregivers for their own age group, or caregivers for older generations? I think a lot of it is just that how their life is already, and as someone who's 27 myself, I know that, you know, going going uh, through something like cancer when things, so many things in your life are so kind of tenuous, it would be it's just a, kind of a unique experience. And so not only being the person to go through cancer, but to care for somebody else and have to, you know, work 40 hours a week and, um, you know, not have, you know, all your friends and family are kind of dispersed around the country. You haven't had a chance to kind of build your relationships up yet. Um, and then also just kind of dealing with other supporters. So if you're um, the partner of a 24-year-old male who has testicular cancer and that person's, that male's mom has taken care of this person his whole life, but you're in a relationship with him, Who's, who's the top supporter? Who gets to make the decision? So right. that's something, a unique decision that has to be made among this population. Right, and the Jewish mom's tough to deal with when you're well, so <laughs> take that into consideration. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So going back to Emily, we had about uh, three or four minutes left here in the segment. Um, obviously, it's, it is a major challenge to discuss about late stage. What What are the takeaways? How do you have that navigating com- conversation with an audience that is just trying to live day-to-day versus having... You know, uh, like like for me, thankfully, I'm 20 years now. It'll be 20 years this fall. But we have many, many of our attendees are living with disease. And h- how do you frame those conversations? How do you reconcile these these uh, these very intimate discretions that they're facing on, a, on an hourly basis, pretty much? 
Sure. So at our uh, session, which I should say that I'm co-facilitating with Pat Taylor of Chasing Rainbow's Young Adult Cancer Advocacy, Good. our goal is really to, one, connect these young adults to each other, two, to discuss credible resources and brainstorm ways that they can stay connected after the conference. So we hope to, you know, kind of pump every last minute of that hour-long session as much as we can. It's kind of going to be like the speed dating of connecting young adults to each other and resources. Right. <laughs> um, but really... Yeah, it it is, um, you know, it it it's very important that these conversations are really um, presented to people in a way that you engage them in the discussion. It's really listening to them. They're the experts of what it is that they're going through, and this is in the field that's been you know highly covered in psychosocial research. Um, so it's really important that you, A, listen to them. So all the programming that we generate for young adults living with Mets Advanced Cancer, Cancer Fight Club, we use these young adults as an advisory committee to tell us what it is that they need, but also just being open and caring and empathetic and, again, not telling them how they should be feeling but listening to what it is that they're saying to you and presenting them with resources that could potentially um, help them, I think is incredibly powerful. But I really feel like and what the challenge has been since we started uh, working on this is that um, not everyone's ready to have these conversations, but it's frustrating when we talk about how for the past 30 years young adult cancer survival rates have not changed, yet as a movement we're not discussing death and dying with our friends who are passing away. And so it's really important that we bring that conversation into the movement and support these people right to the last minute. Well said. And I realize I've been botching your name. I actually went to school with a kid named Nick Inario, true, true, true to fact. But apparently, I'm, I'm, yes, I did in seventh grade. And apparently, yeah. it, it's on on Arena. Yeah, Anna Reno. Anna yep. Reno. Yeah, right. The eye is silent. It's kind of weird. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take that at face value, even though you're not from Canada. <laughs> I knew you'd make a Canada dig. I, I can't help it. The Canadian digs are part of my DNA. I can't help it. Was it was mild for you, so yes. I'm okay with it. So uh, uh, just a quick question, bounce back to you, Nick, is this notion of like how cancer and pop culture, I, I do a lot of closet anthropology on the pop culturization of cancer with Chasing Life and 50-50, and there was a narrative on like South Park with testicular cancer, and Archer had a cancer comedy part to it. Yeah. What's your, what, what are some of your favorite, as of late, you know, indicators in pop culture that's making cancer possibly a little less, a little more desensitized and, and generational? I loved, um, first of all, I'm really looking forward to Dan Shapiro's keynote. He's, uh, he's going to be talking about some of the media portrayals of, um, you know, he's a TV consultant, essentially, so he'll be talking about some of these issues. But I love 50-50. That came out kind of right around when I was starting to get into this area, and that really kind of spoke to me. And, and I know it was pretty heavily validated in the young adult community, too. Um, I, I love, uh, Kaylin Anders actually just put out, she's a Ewing sarcoma survivor. She put, just uh, released a, her first edition of her um, graphic novel, about uh, her cancer experience, she basically kind of transformed her experience um, into being a cancer superhero, and she made this really awesome, really funny um, uh, graphic novel about her experience. And so that's something that I think would be uh, really cool for, for young adults to get their hands on. And then there's another movie that's coming out soon called uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl that has a, a young adult who's kind of dealing with some end-of-life um, issues related to cancer that I, it has gotten some really good reviews from, from Sundance. And so I'm really interested in checking that out as well. 
Wow, I, I hadn't heard of that. I'm definitely going to look into that and hopefully get the uh, the actors or the director on the, on the air here on the show. Fascinating yeah. stuff, really fascinating. Um, all right, so uh, we're just about out of time, but I just wanted to uh, hit Emily up uh, pretty good. Uh, sorry, just reading a, something else that popped up here. I wanted to uh, just have Emily just tell a little bit more about some of the biggest challenges you face in your job and what some of the challenges you hope to uh possibly overachieve uh, in Denver with this audience and some of the takeaways you can leave the audience with. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really looking forward to meeting young adults and hearing their stories. Um, but as always, I'm hoping to gain a better understanding of their experience so that I can use that information to build on the work that we're doing and also share with my colleagues. I think it's really important that we as professionals listen to the needs of people that we're working with every day to serve and that no matter how long some of us have been doing this work that we're open to hearing their experiences and tailoring our program to the changing needs of the young adult cancer population which we know uh, especially with everything coming out and uh, pop media as you're saying that we are progressive um, but yeah some of the challenges definitely are uh, finding these young people living with metastatic and advanced cancer in remote places of both of our countries and connecting them to each other is an incredible challenge. We've tried it with the tweet chat that we do, the MIAC chat, um, the second Tuesday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. But finding these people and bringing them, as we know, to our programs is a, is a challenge because not all healthcare professionals refer to community programming. So I'm hoping to make those connections between um, each each of the attendees because I remember last year sitting at um, OMG and I was talking to a young girl with metastatic breast cancer and then there was another girl with metastatic breast cancer and she introduced herself and said you know what I've never met another person living with metastatic breast cancer before and I think that's really part of the power of this conference is to be making those connections so that they can support each other well said well said and uh, last last uh, last response to Nick you're, what I found in our community over the last couple of years is we are so hungry for research, but research that benefits us generationally. And up until recently, that really didn't exist. And this is something that is so catered to what we are desperate to know is happening and that is truly transforming outcomes so we can absorb that and take that back to our communities. Have you have you been on the receiving end of that? Um, I, I think so. I, it's... Uh... It's just been amazing to have the opportunity to meet so many people through research. And they've, and people have been so, the people I've talked to for my dissertation and other people I've kind of reached out to to have conversations with, they've been so kind of welcoming with their time. And I think they, they're they on board. I, I think they, they realize that it is something that can be helpful. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's really kind of awesome for me to get to, to learn from them. Um, and, and, and yeah, definitely people have been very supportive of it. And it's, it's, I, I hope people do, do kind of take away that it is something that can be helpful in the future. Oh, they will. I guarantee you that. Uh, Emily Drake, director of Cancer Fight Club in Montreal, part of the Hope of with Jewish General, and Nick Honorio, Honorino, there we go, Nick Honorino, yep, assistant go. professor of health communications at the University of Michigan, Dearborn. Thank you both for coming on the episode, the broadcast tonight. Have a good day, and I'll see you uh, in Denver. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, All right. Matt. All right. Bye-bye. So, Donna, was it good for you? That's great. Yeah? I like your little... Oh, we have a whole soundboard here. It's super <laughs> fancy. We don't mess around here. We don't mess around. 
All right, folks, hope you liked our show. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, the 345th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity that comprehensively addresses young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Special thanks to our guests, Donna Zurich. Ethan Zahn, Lisa Haywood, Emily Drake, and Dr. Nick Anario. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, Sean Shapiro, and our whole team here at Stupid Cancer, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast. We are off next Monday. We'll be back in two weeks. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll see you then. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. Cancer survivors over 65 We're all veterans of a battle And the bulk of us more In this world too many soldiers Are serving multiple tours So uh-huh.